and welcome to Tabletop Radio Hour, your podcast for everything tabletop. My name is Zach, and this week we have half of the crew. We have Mark. Mark, how are you doing? Good. How about you? Doing very well. Thank you. Steve has been called back to his home planet to help curb a rebellion. So, <laughs> um, apparently he thinks that's more important than we are. Whatever. You know. I mean, but, saving a planet uh, yeah, podcast. I mean, it's it's really no, no comparison at all. He yeah, should be here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah but, fans let them know what you think of that huh <laughs> how do you uh, but, feel about being snubbed huh oh, well. <laughs> no, <go ahead. laughs> anyway uh, but like always we will start with our segment wish of the week In Wish of the Week, we talk about anything we're excited for from here to Timbuktu. <laughs> uh, we will we'll go ahead and start with Mark. Uh, do you have a Wish of the Week? I do. And again, it's it's not so much a wish as a, I've got it and I'm just looking forward to enjoying <laughs> it. Um, I was able to pick up a copy of the uh, Fate Core System book. Oh, yeah. And I've been kind of uh, weeding through that and uh, kind of eager to... Uh, get that ball rolling and uh, try some actual play with that. Hopefully get that on the, the podcast. Hopefully. Yes. Um, I, I, know, I know I've talked about this before, and one of my hesitations has always been that I wasn't crazy about any of the uh, univ- the preset universes. Mm-hmm. But now having it and really kind of getting into it, I found that um, developing your your universe is very much a part of this already. Mm-hmm. So. I think uh, it's really built again. I know I've I've I kind of shot down homebrewed um, campaigns, but that's exactly what this is built for. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to do a homebrewed campaign, and uh, I, I think it's going to fit it really well. And uh, I, I think it's an interesting system. I'm still trying to get my head around some of the uh, some of the aspects and and uh, some of the stunts, but. Um, I think uh, I think it's going to be good. I think we're going to enjoy it. Yeah, yeah. From what I read about the the Fate Core system from the core book, uh, I picked up the PDF. I enjoy it. You know, it's it's uh, it's not typical, which I like. No, no, it's not. You know, it's it's got its own unique elements, and then the the dice system that it uses is very interesting as well. Yes, um, it you know it's interesting. It does, but you know, I mean, it's it's unique. But on the other hand, you can kind of see where a lot of the stuff uh, has been adapted into other mm-hmm. games. For example, the uh, the aspects. I was having, you know, I was kind of getting my head around. And then I realized they're exactly like the quirks in 7C. Yeah. You, you know, you, if they help you, you get a hero point. If you, if they hurt you, you know, it, or if they hurt you, it, you get a hero point. If it helps you, you lose you a hero point. You spend a hero point, right. right. You know, and that's that's very 
you know, I can see that's probably where John Wick might have borrowed that concept from and, and adapted it. Yeah, so. yeah. So and, uh, yeah, when when you were talking about the the Ghostbusters game um, a couple mm. episodes ago, you know that the the whole plus and minus thing with with the dice and then the complications, you know yep. that's that's very similar to you know to this. Yes, so, yes, it is. Yeah, I can see it in in several games mm-hmm. where uh, where that's that's been an important thing. Yeah. Yep. But yeah. Anything else for you? Uh, that's the big one. Um, still, you know, gearing up for uh, MegaCon in a few more weeks. Absolutely. Um, they, you know, again, if you're in Orlando, Steve and I are both going to be there. Um, been uh, getting some of my uh, some of my Steam Spy games came in the mail, so I got a oh, nice. decent supply of them. So beautiful. Yeah. Uh, do you have Do you have table numbers yet? Not yet. No. No. Okay. Still waiting for those. Yeah. <laughs> um, but for me, Wish of the Week is a couple things. One's more personal. One is more game related. Um, big news in in my household, the Tabletop Radio Hour household. Um, <laughs> that household is changing. Uh, we just went into contract on buying a home on Friday. So we're, we're really excited about that. My fiance and I are are very excited slash nervous slash scared slash <laughs> a, a million different emotions right now. But, um, very nice. It's been a hectic week, but, uh, but we've, we've been, uh, yeah, that's what we've been doing. Very cool. But, uh, my second wish of the week is something a couple weeks old. Maybe I just haven't had a chance to get into it. Um, on the, the mobile app store, pretty much anywhere. I know, um, I know Apple has it and I know Android also has it. Terra Mystica, the board game, is hmm. now um, now in an app that you can cool. play online with people. Nice. You can you can do it both synchronously and asynchronously, which is really nice. Um, so if so if you love Terra Mystica but you can't sit down and play for four hours, well, there's an there's an asynchronous play uh, aspect to the game, which is really great, and I think it's it's a a good choice for them because you know whoever developed the app, I don't remember off the top of my head. But, um, you know, that's a that's a real big thing, you know, especially like with with play by post and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's all that asynchronous play that that uh, people who don't have a, a very open schedule can still participate, which is really nice and, and uh, revolutionary. Hate to use that word, but it's revolutionary. <laughs> nice. <laughs> but um, but yeah, I haven't really played a whole lot of it. I've, I've been playing a couple of the tutorials, but um, I've played Terra Mystica a couple of times in the past and um, and I enjoy the game. It's a really nice. It's kind of like a um, exploration slash, uh, you know, peace placing game. It's it's really fun. Nice. But yeah, I uh, I got that a little while ago. But um, but yeah, okay. I'm looking forward to that. Very cool. And I think that'll be it for Wish of the Week. Uh, Getting into our main topics, we have a few uh, minor topics. First off, um, you know, last week I talked about, you know, Justin Sroyce is releasing the the sheet, this this GM accessory. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, well, even, even a player accessory as well, but, um, you know, you can use it for a million and one different things. You can go check it out on Kickstarter. I think it's got about 15 more days left. 
pay give or take. <laughs> and um, you know, I was I was just wanting to know, uh, Mark, do you have any GM slash player accessories that you uh, you enjoy that you like? Um, you know, of course, it depends on the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, I for me, a big one I think is music. Um, okay. you know, if you can, you know, have have something, uh, you know, uh, on your phone or, uh, you know, I I had an iPod back in the day. <laughs> um, you know, that can add something. Um, if you can just have some some, you know, background music. I I did a uh, a uh, I think it was a one shot for um spy spycraft. Mm-hmm. And I pulled out my my stopwatch and I gave the whole I started the music and I had the the whole briefing going, and I you know I explained to them they were going to be sneaking aboard this yacht and there was a party, the bad guy this is the bad guy this is who you're looking for you're trying to get this from him blah 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 blah, mm-hmm. um, you know the whole introduction and then I said uh, you're going to have one hour of no, or a half hour of non you know in real time to ask questions, uh, request equipment, make plans, do whatever. So in a half hour, the game will begin starting mm-hmm. now. And I hit the, the stopwatch. What the players didn't know is the stopwatch was really counting down the, the time on the music. And at that exact <laughs> moment, the Mission Impossible theme kicked in. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> so... Um, so, you know, and that was just a, you know, it felt like a really good uh, um, way to get get some energy, get get the feel of what they were trying to do um, yeah. going. Um, but if you can get if you can get that with any kind of soundtracks are a great source of inspirational music, I think, mm-hmm. um, you know, if they're too recognizable and they don't fit the <laughs> the game you're playing. That right. can be a problem, but uh, for the most part, you know, I, I think a, a good soundtrack can can help a lot. Yeah, I agree with that. It, it brings immersion, and yeah. I think that's you know even like room ambiance. You know, if mm-hmm. it's if it's late at night and um, and you're playing a, a spy game or a like something like Dread, you know, something that's sure. more suspenseful, you know, maybe bringing down the lights, mm-hmm. um, having some candles or something, you know, just something that brings, um, you know, especially in horror games, brings that ambiance, which is really important. Yeah. I mean, if you can get some, you know, like candles going or something, uh, you know, that can that can add a lot to a, uh, mm-hmm. you know, if you have something with a little dark arts theme going. Yeah, that can that can be pretty cool. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, um it's it's going to be difficult for music with our actual plays because <laughs> um you know that that whole uh royalty stuff. <laughs> there is that. Actually, I don't know if you noticed I you know we don't actually record through uh Roll 20, but Roll 20 actually has music, has music. Yeah, that I you can that. sync into uh you know, have different music set to different locations right. uh or you know, just just playing in the loop in the background. Mm-hmm. So that's that's kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. I'll have to look into if that's royalty free or not. I might, I might have to if if we can use it, that'd be awesome. If not, oh well. Sure. You know, no, no big deal. It's nothing yeah. we haven't dealt with before. Oh, true. <laughs> true. But um, 
yeah, maybe we could just personally have it in the background, you know, and oh, it yeah. might be recording, you know, it, it'd be coming up on, uh, on gamers or on, uh, not gamers play on <laughs> roll 20. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, that's, um, music, music and, and lighting and everything is really important. You know, it just oh, helps yes. people, uh, you know, feel like they're actually in the game. Yeah. Which and is, prop, props are another big one. Yeah. If definitely. you have, you know, if you, if they find a letter, somewhere and you have an actual physical letter that you can pass around, Mm -hmm. you know, that adds a bit to, uh, to the immersiveness too. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I, I saw a cool thing on, uh, on critical role where a character got a letter from someone and, Mm -hmm. uh, and you know, the Matt Mercer, the GM handed over the letter and, uh, as soon as they opened the letter, they hit an audio track and it was the person that had written the letter um, actually reading the letter. Nice. So everybody could hear it. It was really cool. It was, it was great. Um, but yeah, yeah, those, those immersive products, best way I can say that, um, are, are really important. And, uh, and I think they need to be utilized a little bit more. Uh, True. How about you? What kind of things do you like? Uh, my, my personal, you know, with, with my, uh, my background, my gaming background being D and D based. Mm-hmm. I've always been a fan of, of the GM screen. Me too. Yes. Um, and you know, not just the, the plain GM screen. I customize it. You know, I, I tape over and put uh, different charts that I need over mm. charts that I don't need, you know, um, you know, just kind of giving me the information, maybe some, maybe having some character things, um, you know, based on who's playing. That's a great there. idea. Because usually I run one campaign, you know, if it's, if it's here at home, I run one campaign yeah. and I don't have to worry about juggling them. Right. So I just post some character stuff. So like some important things, maybe if they have a villain or, mm-hmm. um, just if, if they have, um, a flaw that's really important that has a consequence, you know, something like that. True. Just to where um, those are, are quick at hand. You know, that's what the GM screen is for, for that information that yeah. um, that you, you don't want to just go and look through the book for, you know, because maybe it's in a, in a weird spot and you can't find mm-hmm. it. And, you know, I can imagine sticky notes are your friend. Uh huh. Yes. Yeah. Sticky notes are very much so my friend, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, like and I have for, for D&D fifth edition, I have, you know, the different values for the potions and and how much they heal, you know, stuff like that. Nice. Some basic nice. offhand stuff that uh, that comes up very fre- frequently. Hmm. And uh, and as I play that, that board gets more cluttered and more cluttered. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've, I've always been a big fan of the GM screens, mm-hmm. but. I find I use it more to protect my own notes <laughs> rather than really using the yeah. the stuff that's on there. Yeah, same, same here. You know, and like I and, said, I cover up the stuff that I don't use. Uh, yeah, you know, with my stuff. True. The other the other advantage of a GM screen is you know kind of back to audience. You, the other side usually has like a big mural or something that helps. Yeah. Set the scene or the tone of of what you're playing. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's. Um, you know, that's a visual element that kind of brings them into the game, mm-hmm. which is really nice. Yeah. Um, another thing I'm a big fan of is um, it's an initiative counter, mm-hmm. you know, an initiative tracker, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Um, 
a, a few years ago, I picked up a, a Pathfinder initiative counter. It's got um, huh. like little dry erase um, little pieces. Oh, okay. And they're magnetic to this board. And huh. so so you can like this board has like pre-printed stuff on it. So it lists like different spots in initiative and then it's got a notes notes section and it's really cool. So I can like I can write somebody's name on it and then like if they're not in combat, you just take it off to the mm. side. You know, their nice. name's still on there, so I don't have to rewrite names constantly. That's I just great. I just pick it up and move it to the side and you know, move things around. It's really easy. It's really simple. Oh, that's nice. You know, and if if an enemy dies, oh, there's that enemy, so take it off to the side. Right. And, right. Uh, and it's got notes so you can put things next to like so if they're poisoned, put poisoned next to it and you can write it. Hmm. And it's really easy. It's really simple. That's nice. I've a, never really used one of those until I got onto roll twenty. Mm-hmm. You know, and they have they have that as one of their gizmos. Right. Um and yeah, it's great. Yeah, yeah, I love it. You know, I've I picked up that thing four years ago. It's been a while, you know, and uh yeah, I've let people borrow it and have been afraid that I haven't been able to get it back, but I've gotten it back. Okay. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, that's that's probably my go-to because it's an easy, you know, note taker. It's an easy initiative tracker, mm-hmm. and it's got, it's got a bunch of different like uh, like arrows that you can put next to, um, you know, so you can so you can know where you are in initiative. Yeah. So it's like. Instead of just, you know, looking up and talking and saying something, looking back down and being like, whose turn was it? <laughs> you know, it's an easy way that you can keep track of that. Uh, third and last thing that I enjoy is lots and lots of dice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm a sucker for dice. Yes. I, I have. Um, I don't know if you've seen it, but they're on, like on Amazon or on different sites there. There's been like a. Uh, uh, a dice set it's um it's the bag of holding oh and uh it comes with 20 sets of die nice you know nice. various colors various you know it's it's great i yeah. love it um so honestly if somebody forgets their dice or doesn't mm-hmm. have a set and like you know yeah it's it's easy to just go oh hey here's seven dice and <laughs> uh boom go yeah <laughs> you know? well i have a, a nice healthy bag of dice too mm-hmm. um and you know there are some games like, uh, especially the the first edition of Seven uh, C, you had different dice that uh, had kind of different tones. So I would try and have those color coded. So you would have you know your core dice, and then if you were given bonus dice, those might be red or something. Okay. You know, and and so you could kind of keep track of which dice were which. Um, you know, if you're playing a system that has that, that, ha- you know, having enough dice to, to be able to color code things is, it's mm-hmm. a nice gimmick, but, uh, yeah, it really is. Yeah. I, I kind of agree. You can't, <laughs> I don't think you can you have, can't too, have many. too many dice. I, I guess you could, but <laughs> then you'd have a problem. You, you would. Don't. Yeah. Yeah. You're a dice hoarder um, and, uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, one last thing that I forgot about. I was just looking on my shelf and, and saw something. Ah. Um, I got um a set of you know their their dry erase mm. little tiles, um for battle maps. So oh yeah. Got a, it's got a grid on it and it's it's dry erase. Nice. And, and literally, it's like a puzzle. So you can put a piece down, mm. um, and then expand on that. You know, and then go out a square in the direction they're going or, you know, 
make a, a four by five tile that, you know, is custom for whatever, you know, map setting you're on at that point in time. And it's really cool. That is great. Yeah, I enjoy it. You know, I, I found they're uh, they're really easy to use with uh, with those those dungeon dealer cards. Because oh, yeah. literally you can draw on one and set it down. And then you can draw your next card, you know, maybe as they're exploring, you can draw your next card and then set it down nice. next to it, you know, in whatever direction they're going. Neat. It's really cool. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that and battle maps and everything. Oh, yeah. I enjoy just because, you know, instead of having like paper or, you know, battle maps are just easy. Well, anything, you know, if dry erase, if you can mm-hmm. get that, that's, you know, that's amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, Steve was talking about his his gaming table where he just got the dry erase paint. Yeah, was able to put it over a table, and, and uh, you know, I've been over there and, and used it, and it's great. You know, it, it's a just a great way of just jotting stuff down. Yeah, um, I'll I'll need to look into that. Getting a, like a cheap coffee table and yeah, and uh, getting in spare spare room or something. Yeah, yeah, something, yeah. something for the new house. Yeah, absolutely, a housewarming gift for myself. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> definitely. Um, so, uh, you know, that's a small little topic that's kind of not important, but interesting to know. That's fun. You know, cause, uh, you know, cause I see, I know what I like, you know, with, uh, with different accessories and it's cool to see and find out new accessories, you know, that other people like. Sure. That you maybe didn't think of. Or just know? different ways to use stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, like, like, you know, the GM screen with, you know putting your own charts on there. I, I just something I've never thought of, but yeah. that's I mean, a great suggestion. It's great. You know, I, I use my, uh, my D and D fifth edition one for any game I'm playing. It doesn't matter, you know, oh, yeah. <laughs> cause yeah. I can customize it any way that I need to. And, Makes sense. uh, you know, I can, I can literally put sheets of paper over top of one of the panels and just write on it. You know, it's, it's, I mean, it's <laughs> something easy you can do. True. It's really nice. True. Um, Oh, some, something I've seen with, with the, um, the DM screen, you know, taking um, like binder clips, you know, those mm, those uh, yep. black and silver binder clips and like uh, putting a character's name on it on a sticky note or like a character picture or something and, and tracking initiative that way, you know, so clipping it on the top of the GM screen. Sure. You know, in the order. I've seen that. Uh, yeah. The, done the, quite a bit. The trick to that is, you know, you got to make sure you're you're doing it from the player's point of view and not the game master's point of view. Right. Right. <laughs> In, unless it's by your point of view and you just say whose turn it is next. Well, that's true. That's it, true. Depending on how you how you run that. But yeah, yes, definitely. Next topic is another small topic, but a very important topic. How not to get too caught up in stats and dice rolling. It's hard when you're playing a game. It depends on the game. I mean, yeah, some really games does. are very stat and dice rolling oriented and mm. some you know the the type we prefer are a lot more narrative um right you know Um, the other side of this is how do you know when to roll as opposed to just bulldozing on with narrative um i think that's up to the gm it well it is up to the gm but if if the players are just sitting there while the gm tells a story and says oh your character doesn't succeed or your character does succeed and the then the players aren't getting to play the game. Right. So, you know, there, there is a point where, you know, the players ha- get to influence it mm-hmm. and there has to be some randomness to, to uh, the interaction. 
um, to some degree, because that's what makes it a game. A game. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So you do want you, you definitely do want some, but right. yeah, you get too much of it, and it's it becomes just a game without the role playing. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, and you know, it's kind of knowing when to have discretion just based on, you know, if you're the GM, don't just tell the story completely. Exactly. You know, um, introduce these actual game elements into what you're doing, you know? Yeah. And um, and on the other side, characters don't just sit there and listen, you know, be, be curious, be inquisitive based on what's being told, you know? You know, you're you're walking through an old abandoned building and uh, and you hear one of the the floor panels creak as you walk over it. You go, wait a second. Can I see if there's anything under this floor panel? And then that's when you roll, you know, I guess they check for traps. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> not not in your games, though, Mark. not in your games. <laughs> OK, fair enough. <laughs> Here, for those of you that don't know, checking for traps is one of Mark's biggest pet peeves ever. It is. It is. I agree. <laughs> but um, but yeah, honestly, just just finding elements that you want to find out more about, I think, is is what's important. Um, well, yeah, be proactive as a player. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I think I think as a player, you can you know try to move forward. And it's up to the game master to say stop that needs a roll to see if you know to see if that succeeds or not because you know you can kind of see that if the player is being proactive it's easier for the game master to say there's some chance there that deserves a roll but if the game master is just the only one who's who's orating and just kind of saying what happens Mm -hmm. it's going to be you know the the players are going to be less likely to stop and say hey can I roll for that? Right. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's just a finding balance between the things, between and the two things. And yeah, and, uh, and part of that's just going to be experience. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Most definitely. Because, you know, the, the more you, uh, the more you play, the more used to the system you'll be. Yes. And, and the more used to how the flow goes. I think, yeah, and part of it, too, is get to know your players, because mm-hmm. how much do the players need, you know, need that uh, mechanical uh, urging to keep going? You know, yeah. how much are they going to be able to contribute just narratively versus mechanically? Right. Yeah, definitely. Uh, another topic, you would send an email um, with, with that comment. Oh, that's right. If you want to be a better GM playing a lot of games, if you want to be a better player, GM a lot of games. Now that's a little strange for me to hear. Um, you know, cause I, I saw this on Reddit just like, just like mm-hmm. you did. Yeah. And, um, I was like, okay. Uh, f- first off I was, I was questioning, are, are they saying, play a lot of different games or play, or have a lot of gameplay under your belt. I think that that's a great, that that's two ways of taking this definitely. <laughs> right. Um, I think the bigger thing is, and, and I've always kind of said that if you, you know, in terms of just about anything, if you want to be a good leader, learn how to be a good follower. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of what they're saying here is if you're, if you game master, you're going to see what kind of players 
help you or hinder you. Mm -hmm. And then, so then when you're a player, you'll know how to work with the game master Um, and vice versa. If you're a player and you game master, you're going to kind of see what the other, what the other side of the fence is like. Yeah. Um, So I think, you know, I, I think it's a great way of, of looking at this, Um, you know, try both i think it's there's a lot of value to trying both sides of it now in terms of a lot of games there are pros and cons too of do you just play one game or do you try different systems and expose yourself to more of what's out there you know i think there is power in that Mm -hmm. but i don't think that makes you a better gm in that in that sense being a gm is balancing a, a giant handful of things I'm still debating whether to argue this or agree with it <laughs> just, just because it's, um, you know, here, let's, let's break it down. Okay. You know, if, if you are a player in a game and mm-hmm. you play that game a lot, this one game, say fifth edition, sure. sure, you will have more knowledge about that game. Yes. So I think if we take it playing a lot of games, like having a lot of game time, then yes, that would make you a better GM because you have a better understanding of the rules. You understand how how everything works in this in this system, and and you know how um, how to approach different things. You know, mm-hmm. just because you know the overall system, right? And uh, so yes, I would I would agree with that in that sense. But you know, just opening up your your game library to a bunch of other games. I, I don't think that, you know, honestly, I've got so many PDFs on here and I've read so many <laughs> PDFs that doesn't make me a great GM, <laughs> you know? Um, it, it gives me more understanding about how other systems work. Uh-huh. It makes me more knowledgeable about different games, but I, I, w- I wouldn't say that it makes you a better GM. What do you think? Well, I think I, I think having that exposure to a range of, of games helps you understand the overall art of role-playing games. Mm-hmm. You know, it gives you kind of that uh, gestalt view, I guess. Um, but you are right, if, especially if you're game mastering, you need to know that rule set better than anyone else at the table. Right. So... I think, you know, part of this may be assuming that you have an infinite number of time or <laughs> infinite amount of time, which who does? Um, you know, this is this is a hobby. This is something that that you get, you know, if you can get together a game a week, you're pretty yeah. lucky. So um, I, personally, I kind of like having a variety of, of games that it, it breaks up, you know, the different uh, universes. Um, if, if I only had D and D to play, I'd probably pull my hair out eventually, <laughs> but uh, being able to jump from D and D to a science fiction, to, uh, you know, an espionage shoot 'em up to, uh, you know, a Western horror, you know, being able to try different things and, and experience different things. You know, it's, it's like saying you're only going to be able to see one type of movie for the rest, for the rest <laughs> of your life. Yeah. Um, so I, I like the idea of having, of, of exposing yourself to a lot of, a lot of diverse content, but, uh, in terms of 
GMing a specific game, it's not going to... Well, I, I take that back. I think what's, what the difference is, is how much you alter that game. You know, how many house rules do you impose? Or, you know, rules variations. Right. If you're doing that a lot, then it definitely helps you to see what other options are there and, and borrow from uh, existing uh, rule sets mm-hmm. rather than just kind of making some arbitrary changes. Right. Yeah, yeah, I can agree with that. Um, you know, I think a way to be a better GM is to know how to take the system you're using, whatever system it is, you know, you can have knowledge of 80 different systems, that doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. You know, taking a system and and making it to where it's a game and it's it's a a story that your players will like. Absolutely. And I I could argue that okay, knowing a bunch of different systems could could be a way to better that. You know, just yes. because just because you have more knowledge of games, different game styles, different game types, and um and you can, you know, tailor a game, you know, with whatever system you want to make it more appealing to the players. True. True. So I think and, that's uh, that's yeah. the only way I would argue for the the knowing different games. <laughs> well, and and I think the other the difference is knowing the games and really immersing yourself in it. As mm-hmm. I said, as I've said this before, the game master has to know the game system better than anyone else, Absolutely. any of the players. And the for me, the perfect world is having a a gaming group where everybody game masters a different game and then mm-hmm. that game is their their specialty yeah so you know that way you get to experience a lot of diversity but everybody is kind of taking ownership of a different type of of theme and genre and rule set and yeah. you know each one then is is the master of their domain the master of their game <laughs> yeah you know? exactly their own game master. Yeah. Um, you know, that, that is in a perfect world where everybody enjoys GMing as much as we do. That's true. That is true. <laughs> then yeah. That's, but, but, uh, I, but I, but, I get your point, but that kind of goes back to the original thing here is yes. You, you, uh, you know, you might not love GMing, but G if you force yourself to GM, you're going to learn how to be a better player. Yeah, absolutely. You'll you'll be a better player because you have the knowledge of what the other side is like. Exactly, yes. You know, and that's really important. Mm-hmm. Just because um you know, you you know what things the GM doesn't like also, <laughs> you know. Well, yeah. And, you know, the the other side of that too is, you know, if you're if you're normally a GM and you see, you know, somebody else trying to be a GM and what they don't like, you know, the frustrations they have, you you can kind of, you know, you might be able to find ways to uh, alter your state, you know, when you're game mastering mm-hmm. to give them more of what they want. Yeah, definitely. I, I think so. You know, and, and you'll know you, you don't want to be, quote unquote, that player. <laughs> because exactly. because you've dealt with that player, you know exactly right. Yeah. So um, 
you know, it gives it gives you a, a better understanding of what the GM goes through because you have been a GM. Yeah. You know? But um but yeah, and, and also it depends on the game too with that. You know, it's um because GMing a game and and being a player in a game, you know, I've I've realized this with creating a character. I never knew how to create a character before <laughs> before we started our actual play that first run through. Oh. Um, because honestly, I knew I was going to be the GM and I really didn't, since you guys already knew how to create characters, I was fine. (laughs) You know, I didn't, I didn't need to learn that specific aspect of it. And, um, you know, I had to reread it when we were creating characters for, uh, for our actual play now. And, um, and I realized, uh, setting up these play by posts, you know, Mm. Not not the one with you all, but my public ones. Um, it, it there are a lot of people out there that want to try the game that don't that haven't read it or don't have the book, right? And so you you also have to be that person that's there to help. Sure. So so you have to know everything. <laughs> you have well, to you yeah. have to know how to create a character just so you can explain it to him. You have to know. Um, an easy way to describe how action sequences go, which is not easy. <laughs> no, it's not because it's detailed. But um, but there's also judging. You know, part of it is is being the arbitrator. Mm-hmm. You know, telling people no, it's a swashbuckling game. You can't have a laser pistol. Exactly. You know, there's there's that kind of reining it in. There there isn't really telepathy in this world. So make a different choice. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I I need to go through back through the the sorcery section again because I didn't I didn't read up on that very much. Um, yeah. Because one of my players is wanting to be a sorcerer, I'm like, okay, let me get some more knowledge about this. Yep. You know, just because um, if they have any questions, instead of me going, okay, let me take a couple days and read through this section because I don't have much time. Right. Um, you know, I'll already know that okay, this is what happens with sorcery, and this is how things go. And, yes. and so I could explain that easier. You know, it's kind of being, I hate to say it, but being a GM is kind of being a, a, a P a players person. I don't know. It's just a, a person that's there. Not necessarily that knows all the information, but knows information better than the players do. Exactly. Yes. Because you have to be more knowledgeable about different things. Right. It's not, it's not saying being smarter. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh no. I don't want it to come off like that, but um, yeah, you have to you have to know how things work uh, to a little bit more detail, mm-hmm. you know, just because you know, like with with fifth edition, um, you know, they they came out with a dungeon master's guide that has been so helpful. It is so helpful. Oh yeah, <laughs> it has so much stuff that the player's handbook doesn't. Um, mm-hmm. and, you know, it helps you understand more things. Um, you know, and honestly, it has a, a lot of ways. Um, it describes a lot of different ways how to create your story, and that's it's really it's really nice in that fact. True. Um, True. But onto our next topic, it's a topic that can work with anything. You know, because mm. it's something that can come up in in any different game. You know, in one that comes to mind is a very unbiased game that uh <clears throat> we don't know about at all with 7C but <laughs> um 
it is when to introduce your villain mm-hmm. and and how to really because that's that goes together hand in hand um yeah and that one's just as important as the other um you know with seventh c the villain is a very important um you know a very important part of the game Right, you know, and and you can argue that with anything else, you know, you uh-huh. because you can write whatever story you want, you can run whatever game sure. you want, um, but you can you can choose to have different uh, antagonists. You know, it doesn't just have uh-huh. to be a villain. It could be a corporation. It could be a a, a king in his court. You know, it could be anything. Right. Um, but yeah, knowing knowing when and how to introduce your villain is really important. And uh, I honestly think you can introduce him at any time. You know, maybe uh-huh. maybe not just go out of the blue and say, this is your villain. <laughs> that, <laughs> I, that won't work too well. In in my, uh, my fifth edition campaign that I run mainly, um, it's the, the undead uh, campaign that I, I like to run. Okay. Uh-huh. And, um, you know, the main villain is is a very powerful necromancer. And, you know, he has been bringing up different, um, different sources of undead throughout the continent. And so, you know, I, I give the players a little hint of this person and a little hint of how much power he has. Um, I've done it in a few different ways, but, um, but essentially I, you know, within the first couple sessions or, you know, in play by post first week or so, just depending on, on how fast they go. But, um, I introduce that villain to them. You know, I have them encounter this person and, okay. uh, not necessarily fighting them, you know, because they won't win. Let's be honest. Um, but I, I just, I give them a little taste of what they have in front of them, you know, instead of, them going, okay, who do we have to fight? You know, them knowing from, from the right, basically the beginning. Um, but it, cause that gives them something to do, you know, mm-hmm. because a lot of people aren't comfortable with coming up with, uh, with those ideas of what to do, you know, on their own. And that's, a, that's right. a common thing. Yeah. Well, seven C actually has that kind of mechanic built in, mm-hmm. Um, you know, they talk specifically about, you know, you, you meet the bad guy and then in the beginning you meet them, but they're way too powerful. And then you kind of whittle away at their resources so that for the climactic battle, you can beat them. Right. Um, and, you know, that that's a pretty standard uh, approach. I, the other thing I would point out is that revealing your villain uh, doesn't mean that that you reveal everything about them. Oh, no. You know, if you're doing a mystery, uh, you might just reveal that there is a killer loose. And so the villain is the killer, but you don't know who the killer is until you get to the end. Um, Or there might be a a twist that you think, you know, that this is the villain. You spend the whole adventure chasing them, and then you find out that his henchman is actually the mastermind behind everything. (laughs) So you can, you know, you can twist things. You can do stuff. But the characters do need to, well, they need a motivation, and you know, usually the uh, the antagonist is that motivation. Exactly. Yeah, and and I've you know from reading that section of the book, um, 
you know, I've kind of taken that, you know, with with my my fifth edition game. You know, I've I gave them a little small introduction into their villain and mm-hmm. you know that gives them that motivation to go and find this being this person right um but yeah honestly it just depends on what kind of players you have at your table you know if they're if they're super inquisitive and if they're they they want to turn over every single rock to uh, to find something let them you know i uh-huh. i won't i wouldn't hand out that um I, I wouldn't hand that out to them, you know, right off the bat. Right. Just, just because they're going to find it because they're nosy. You know, it's, yeah. it's that kind of player. But, um, but yeah, I think just, uh, you know, taking the first session, first couple sessions, kind of understanding what kind of players you have in front of you. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think that will tell you when to, uh, when to introduce your villain. Sure. But, you know, and the other side of this too is, Genre, you know, I mean, like mm-hmm. I said, mystery or, or that. But uh, I've talked before about how much I like the the spy genre. Right. And again, this is built right in. You have your your briefing where you called into your commander's office, and boom, he lays the the dossier right in front of you. Here's the bad guy. Right. So you have it right there. Um, you know, that's that's just part of that uh, that structure. So, uh, you know, if you're playing something like that, that is that structured, that's, that's great. And once you have it, you might not see that villain at all until the, the, uh, climactic battle. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah like if it's a long running campaign, you might not see him for a year, <laughs> you know, if, if you're right. playing regularly and, and it's a, it's a committed game group. Yeah. Yeah. You you're, never... you're dealing with, with the effects, you know, maybe henchmen or, mm-hmm. you know, the, uh, the effects of what he's been doing. Right. Uh, or she. Yes. Yes. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, a- another time is how, um, mm-hmm. you know, another question is how to introduce your villain. Sure. And that's just as important because yep. you, you know, like you said, you can't just, or like I said, you can't just say, okay, this guy's your villain. <laughs> well, unless you're, you're doing, like I said, the, the, the dossier type, you know, yeah, spy. Yeah. Or, the, the mission briefing. Right. But yeah, how how is a really important important thing to think about as well because they could reveal themselves. They could come mm-hmm. to you and um or I mean there's a million different ways you can do that. Uh I don't have a right answer for it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I will I will say this, if you do have that that first encounter, that's a great way of of revealing stuff about the villain that you're not just going to get from a dossier or just getting his name from a henchman. Right. Um, in our Tuesday night game, uh, the gang encountered the villain, you know, a couple times actually, but the, the one time they encountered him, Steve's character who we've discussed is, was a tank. Um, oh, man. <laughs> got, he got whipped by this, this villain. And that immediately kind of, set everybody back and said, Oh, okay. What do we do? You know, this guy's powerful. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, you know, that created something that was much greater than just telling them that he's powerful. Um, you know, it showed, it showed rather than told. Yeah, people. exactly. It showed the amount of power that this individual carries. Uh-huh. And made him dangerous. Yeah, absolutely. And made him, uh, made him a target and made it, made him, uh, 
wantable. I don't know what the word for that is. Um, right. <laughs> made made the characters want to encounter slash kill slash whatever they want to do. Exactly. This character, you know. Yes. But yeah, depending on the kind of story you tell also depends on on all those elements. Mm-hmm. You know, if it's a... Uh, if it's a dungeon crawl, it's not until the end. You know, if it's a, um, if it's a diplomacy intrigue kind of game, it's going to be kind of somewhere in the middle, mm-hmm. you know, because they're going to have a little bit of time before they encounter this, this villain to do whatever. Well, usually in those types of games, you encounter the villain, but it's like a social encounter. It's, it's very, you know, uh, diplomatic but you know you got the villain being snide while the okay. you know you know that kind of it's it's a it's that kind of interaction okay um, yeah and then the the fight comes later right. if it's you know something like superheroes you usually have like a you know they might beat him <laughs> throw him in jail he escapes from jail and then does his big mission or big uh plot yeah. at the end you just go watch batman Exactly. Just exactly. There you go. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, there's there's a, a million and one different ways you can you can introduce your villain and and uh, you know half of it is the time will feel right. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's really no wrong answer. And I think yeah, I mean, it, really, it's just part of basic storytelling. Mm-hmm. And it's you know the the bigger pit the bigger issue is probably how do you ramp up the tension. And by deciding when you reveal your villain is a great way of ramping up the tension. But there are also other other issues too. You know, if you know if you know the villain, you can have an idea of you know maybe a time frame. You know, this villain is going to do something in seven days, and you have yeah. seven days to to do it. Um, you you know those types of things. Uh, just add to the the uh, importance of uh, to the characters that they have to take action. Yeah, yeah, that's true. You know, an example of introducing your character, um, kind of along the lines of what we do, what we're doing in Seven C. Mm. <clears throat> you know, taking the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. Mm-hmm. You know, those have very, um, very distinct kind of storyboards. You know, they have kind of plot lines that they they like to stick with mm-hmm. but um you know i don't remember which movie it was but uh J- jack encountered or uh, several people encountered the um the guy in charge of the the east india trading company oh yeah uh, i don't remember his name off the top of my head but right. um the, the first time you meet him you're like okay i don't like this guy <laughs> right right because uh, you don't you don't know he's the uh, he's the straight up villain you know right off the bat you meet right. him it's a social encounter yeah and then later you find out this guy is is bad news right if the first time you meet him you don't like him but you don't want to kill him and then right. by the end you want to kill him <laughs> exactly yeah exactly it's it's um it, taking things one step at a time you know with your villain right um, instead of going with a with a just a, a quick turn on a dime and and he's your villain now sure you know it's it's kind of uh pacing yourself and uh revealing little things here and there about this villain Mm -hmm. just so it gives them more and more hints that this is the villain right you know just kind of like that you know by the end you hated him yes in the middle he wasn't your favorite 
you slightly hated him, but he, mm-hmm. he wasn't straight to villain status yet. Right. Right. You know, so there's, you know, just taking that and, uh, and balancing those things and knowing when to, when to introduce them. Exactly. Um, another thing is back to, uh, not getting caught up with stats and dice rolling, <laughs> but, but balancing role playing and battle, like, uh, ah. battle sequences. Sure. My motto, it depends on your players. It depends on the game. You know, if if you're playing something more tactical, like fourth edition, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, or even something like fifth edition, you know, that has that has a more battle heavy, you know, rule set. If your players like more battle, give them more battle. If if your players like more story, give them more story. You know, it's just. Um, but honestly, you can't just have one or the other. You know, it's going to get too plain and too long drawn out. Uh-huh. Um, but honestly, having a good, you know, depending on what it is, you know, one side or the other, uh, have maybe having a good 60, 40, maybe, maybe a 70, 30, just depending on, on what the players prefer. Well, the, really they're very tied together. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, your, your battle is part of the role playing. Right. And, uh, you know, the, it's really how much how much do you let the mechanics de- describe the battle as opposed to the role playing describing the battle? Yeah. Um, and a lot of that's going to depend on the system. You know, you've you've told your story about the the very mechanical battle that took all night, <laughs> and yeah. you know that was very unsatisfying. Seven yeah. um, Seven <laughs> C does incorporate a lot more of that role playing into the mechanics of, of battle. Right. So, you know, just by its nature, it's going to offer a lot more of that. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, if you, if you are playing a, a more mechanical game, like, like D and D it's, you know, it's just important to try and get that, uh, try and get those descriptions, you know, getting away from, I attack, roll damage, take 12 points. Yeah, you know, exactly. Try to describe the action. You know, I'm swinging my axe while giving a war cry and, uh, you know, clashing against his shield. Yep. You know, if you can dis- just throw st- some description in there, it it creates a little bit more. Um, it, it creates more role playing. And and yeah. same with the the injuries. You know, don't just say, I've taken twelve hit points. Say. Uh, yeah, I got this nasty cut, you know, along the, the side of my arm, but uh, mm-hmm. I'm still going, you know. Yeah. That's the kind of stuff that, that you do. Just work to describe the mechanics. Yeah, I think I think that's really important. You know, taking Critical Role as an example. Mm-hmm. I'm going to preface this. Even, even Matt Mercer said it himself. You're not going to have a Critical Role experience. Yeah. You know, you're not going to have that experience. They're all voice actors. They've been playing for X amount of years uh-huh. together, which is more important than anything. They've been playing together for five years. Yeah. And so it's, you know, they, they know how to work with each other. Right. That's, that's an important thing. But, you know, you know, when talking about this and talking about the battle sequences, you know, he does a really good job of explaining what happens. Yes. And, you know, just, just kind of, you know, and, and, 
the more you've been playing, the more comfortable you are with this. You know, that's just that's just the the matter of fact. Right. And, um, you know, it just it depends on, you know, your knowledge of of the monsters and and the creatures and, you know, just basic how how basic sword fighting works, you know, seventh C, you know, basically. Right. Uh, Fencing. That's Mm -hmm. that would be that's an important thing um, in in the the combat system of seventh C, you know, just with the dueling and everything. Um, you know, I, I did fencing for a couple of years mm. in college, nice. you know, and, and so that helps me to explain the different, uh, battle sequences. That's great. I mean, I, I haven't had to yet, but I mean, I, <laughs> I could, <laughs> I could assume that, uh, that it would, it would help me kind of knowing the knowledge of the different, different steps and different kind of, uh, dueling techniques and stuff like that. Yeah. You know, just having knowledge of, of different things. Um, you know, looking at a, a, a movie scene. You know, say, say in Lord of the Rings, uh-huh. you know, seeing what happens there and uh, stopping for a second and going, OK, let me explain this in actual words instead of just seeing it. You know, that sure. that would that kind of helps, too. Uh-huh. You know, you're you're taking whatever, you know, whatever is happening visually and putting it into words, because that's that's the, the thing here. Right. You're taking um, an imaginative picture uh-huh. you know and and you're mapping that out using your words yes so. now you do want to use the mechanics as a basis for mm-hmm. that um you know if you've only taken three wounds don't talk about how your arm's been chopped off um <laughs> right you know yeah you know adapt to what's going on mm-hmm. yeah um like in, in D and D fifth edition, you know, with the barbarian and, and I think with the fighter, um, there is an ability called great weapon master hmm. and you are using two hands to wield your weapon and you do more damage. Okay. Okay. So use that, that, uh, mechanic of great weapon master. You're grabbing this ax or this great sword with two hands, mm-hmm. you know, saying that, you know, explaining that and, uh, you know, that just adding a little flavor here and there, even a little bit is great. Even a little bit will go a long way. And, you know, if, if you do that and, and as you play for a while and people start to know that you have that skill, you can say, OK, I take my axe. I put that second hand on it and I rear back and everybody's going to know, ooh, here it comes. OK, you know, you go. Yep, exactly. Um, you know, you, you kind of build that uh, vocabulary of uh, what your character can do by. By, again, showing and not just telling. Right. And and I think, you know, explaining that, you know, going into more detail about the battle sequences and about the different moves, I think will get more people excited about paying attention to uh-huh. it. Because, you know, a lot of times I, I see uh, people kind of tune out when it's not their turn just because, you know, in earlier games I was that person and I'm sure everybody else was that um that just said okay you attack you do this much damage to the creature the creature attacks you they do this this amount of damage to you you know everybody's done it sure and uh and you know that kind of people are like okay it's not my turn i'm going to tune out a little bit because it's it's just dice rolling and and you know right how much damage you did right but if you're an inter- helping to entertain the table mm-hmm. that's something and you know the other thing i kind of want to throw in here is for newer players, especially, don't don't let all this talk intimidate you. You know, don't think <laughs> that you have to, you know, create this elaborate uh, prose 
when you yeah. roll every time you roll the dice. But if you can just add something, just mm-hmm. you know, just instead of just saying I attack, say you know, I I flip my for, my sword towards his throat or something, you know, yeah. just something to make it a little bit more than dice, just cold dice rolling. Right. Yeah. Definitely. Just because any anything will help. That's not saying I want to attack. Yes. You know. Yes. It's like it's like in seventh C. There's a dodge mechanic. It's it's not just saying I want to dodge. No, they make you mm-hmm. say how you do it and what you want to do. Right. So that that kind of adds, you know that that honestly kind of forces you to not just say I want to do this. Yes. You know, and I think seventh C does that for more than one thing. Sure. You know, just just based on how it's how it's written, how it's set up. Yeah. Um. But one one last kind of small topic um, that's pretty important, and then we will uh, we'll leave you all alone. <laughs> but um, it's the importance to sticking with your alignment in character, which is is really important. You know, most people think alignment; they think D anD D, but that's not the that's not the only situation where alignment is important. Well, I th- uh, what do you think? What do you think about? I it think uh, you know D anD D kind of gets. Usually, you say this, uh, you're getting sucked into the D&D discussion. And I think the challenge <laughs> with D&D is that there's no real um, mechanical penalty for for avoiding your alignment. You know, the, the biggest thing is, okay, you act evil, well, you're going to turn evil then. Okay, then I'll ignore that. So... You know, there's not a there's not a real impetus. Now, in other games, you have um, uh, you might have some sort of character def- definition that um, you know has a game mechanic associated with it. Um, if you play your alignment, you get an extra hero point or something like that. Um, you know, that does help um, make it give it a little bit more importance. Yeah, yeah, because you're getting rewarded for sticking with it. Yeah, otherwise it's just you know, it's in, just flavor. In that sense. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I I would argue that character alignment's important because that's how your character is. You know, that's you know being in character and uh, <clears throat> and sticking with your character's backstory mm-hmm. and uh, and how they are is is just as important. Of course. Um. Yeah. I I think uh, I I agree, uh, but I think that. It, it's kind of it's kind of random. I would think that if you could tie that more into what your character is, um, right? You know, if you're playing a thief, you're not going to be that lawful. <laughs> you know, that's just part of what yeah. a thief is. Period. A lawful thief would be interesting, though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's be honest. Well, sure. <laughs> um, but then, uh, then you could then you could argue that you're more of a Robin Hood character. That's true. Very true. Yes. <laughs> no, but but I'm giving to the poor, <laughs> so I mean it's good, right? <laughs> you know, actually, that's one of my biggest arguments with uh, the D and D's alignment system. They always uh-huh. use the example that that Robin Hood is chaotic good, and I argue no, he is he is lawful good. Mm. Because, yeah, because he's... he is the only one that is remaining loyal to the true king of England. He's he's actually <laughs> the only one who's following the actual laws. Everyone else is trying to, you know, feels like uh, Prince John is is in charge. And yep. so 
he's actually law, he's actually lawful good. <laughs> Loopholes. <laughs> yeah, you know, and Loopholes. you know, if you look at seven C, there's another thing. You know, alignment goes flying right out the window when you start dealing with pirates. If you, oh, yeah. if you have a letter of mark from this co- from this company country, um, okay, Nathaniel, he's a, he's a privateer for Avalon. Right. So if he's attacking Castilians in Avalon, he's lawful. In Castile, he's 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 a, uh, he's a pirate. Chaotic. Yeah, he's yeah. There we go. Yeah, that's that's really true. You know, and and location really depends on the law. Mm-hmm. You know, when it comes to Seventh Sea, it's a it's a much more. I mean, it could it could be argued with any. You know, just depending on what what world you have. You sure. know, if there are different countries, if there are different continents that they go to, you know, these continents are going to have different laws. Mm-hmm. Yada yada yada. Like um, in in Critical Role, there there's a uh, a town they go to. It's still still part of the same continent, but um, it is they they are they really frown upon magic use. Okay, and uh, um, you know the the non divine non nature you know magic use. Okay, because you know druids are more more nature based, and like clerics are are uh, and clerics and paladins are divine. You know, so they yeah. don't they don't mind those. But you know, just straight up like sorcerers, wizards, stuff like that. You know, they they frown upon, and it's it's essentially illegal. You know, just just based on how how their laws go. So mm-hmm. that's that's really important. You yeah. know, knowing where you are and and having your characters know that that hey, this is this way in this. So you know, hey, if you're lawful, boom, do that. Sure. But but yeah, there's a perfect example. If you're a lawful wizard, well, what do you do? My my entire being is illegal now it's illegal right <laughs> you know do i uh, do i have to commit suicide now what do, you know <laughs> what is i gotta follow the law well i mean at that point i think it would just be not using magic in the town uh, yeah probably but... because that's following the law you know not using that i mean you can be a magic user in that town okay. you just can't use magic okay but but let's know? let's take it to the further extreme then what if you what if you come to a town where you know they practice human sacrifice well you touche <laughs> Where you are, you know, in in the rest of the world, that's that kind of thing is illegal, you know. Yeah. So I I've never been a fan of of D and D's approach to alignment, right? Um, because there's there's no pros, there's no cons. There's no it, pros, you know, there are no cons, and it's very subjective. It, I mean, you, I mean, <laughs> it can be argued heavily. It can be, yeah, it can be argued. Um, I mean, they they really map it out. There's like what nine different alignments that yeah. you can have. Um, mm-hmm. But they're they're very subjective. There's no real mechanic. Um, you know, Seven C has more of, a, and and I think Star Wars has corruption. Mm-hmm. You know, if you do something, quote unquote, bad, you get a corruption point. You do enough of that, you lose your character. You become a villain. Right. Um, and that's, you know, that's a little bit better. I mean, that's that's at least trying to steer your characters to being heroes. Um, right. You know, I think, you know, D&D opens up your characters to being, you know, if you want to be the chaotic evil, then <clears throat> D&D allows that. Um, not I, all games do. I think, you know, the, the D&D alignment system, and it's the same in Pathfinder. Okay. But I think it it mainly you know, encompasses how you react to specific things you know, in mm-hmm. character. I think, I think that's really all that 
you get from it. Because, say you're chaotic neutral, well, you can pretty much... It's it's kind of more about morals. So you can you can morally respond in a chaotic way and not feel remorse about it. You're, you're, True. Your character physically, you know. True. But I mean, you know, it's 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 really not tied to it's not tied to any mechanic, and so it's uh-huh. there's no enforcing it. I True is is the, the the idea behind this. True, which means it's really up to the game master to enforce, mm-hmm. um, and you know that can be uh, you know that can be setting up a challenge if you're if you're dealing with something that's that's kind of a little bit arbitrary right um but uh yeah i think uh you know and looking at other games you know we, i talked earlier about fate and how that's kind of you know kind of getting into that you know you're you're having the same thing but you're not you're not imposing it into a very strict um good guy bad guy right. kind of kind of thing um even just you know if it was just good guy bad guy i think is basic enough um you know that that gives you a, a moral a moral direction without uh being too too specific i, th- I think having the nine different choices breaks it down in, in <laughs> ways that it's almost too much. Yeah. Um, but as I was saying, fate, you know, you can do the same thing. You can say, you know, a loyal family member, you know, and mm-hmm. that's, that creates something that is in some ways a better role playing uh, aspect than, um, than just saying, lawful lawful good lawful evil you take that now and and going back to our example you go into a town where they're doing something you know they're you know human sacrifices or anti-magic or something Mm -hmm. and instead of just saying do i follow the law or not or which law do i follow you go back to okay loyal family man how does this affect his family what you know it doesn't affect a family I can be open to it, you know. There's there's a there's a more specific um, way of of looking at it that's very specific to your character um, and specific to to what you've built as a character. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if your character has loyalties, that that seems to me more more defining of of who he's, you know, which, which rules he's going to follow. Um, even if that loyalty is more to himself, right. You know, which, which is kind of the, the, uh, um, real, really kind of the definition of good and good and evil is usually how self-centered are you? Right, right. Exactly. Uh, the way I take, you know, as a player, the way I take the, the alignment system in D and D is more of a like a personal keeping myself in check. Yeah. Just just so I can stick more to my character and be more focused on understanding how the character responds to different things and, and how he reacts mm-hmm. and stuff like that. 
you know, it's, it, I, I know a lot of people don't do it like that, but I mean, it's, it's a, it's a good way to keep yourself more focused on your character. Well, and I think, I think that's exactly the key, keeping yourself in check. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, whether you're, if you're using alignment, if alignment works for you, great, take that and run with it. If it's a different game, you know, if it's a game that has like corruption, um, you know, use that. If you have, you know, these, these various aspects that, that help define you use that, but yes, stick to your, your, uh, you know, keep your character in check. I, I've seen so many games where players just, well, this guard has been in my way, so I kill him. And then yeah. you like, well, you just killed a man in cold blood. <laughs> right. You know, it's it's a it's very easy to say when we're sitting at a table and it's a piece of paper. You know, I just kill him. Yeah. But you know, really, you know, trying to get that moral decision making and and you know, thinking about things in a in a moral way. Mm-hmm. Is part of the role playing. That's part yeah. of what's putting you in the situation, as opposed to just you know, he's a piece of paper. Right. But I mean, in in that specific aspect, give them consequences too. You know, because because uh-huh. you you will know their alignment, and you will know how how they should be acting. You know, in character, uh-huh. and if they do something that's out of line, give them a big old consequence. <laughs> you know, it's like uh, if you've ever played Skyrim, the video game. Mm, um, yeah. <laughs> if you go into a, a big major city and shoot at a guard, well, all the guards are going to come attack you. <laughs> right. Right. I yeah. mean, that's that's pretty much it. Well, <clears throat> and and that again, kind of going back to my issue with with the D and D alignment, the the consequences aren't aren't built in. No. I mean. Yes, you can have the guards chase you, but if you're chaotic evil, then you followed your alignment, so you've done True. what you were supposed to do. But, um, and you know, I, I think you know, in D and D, they usually say if you don't follow your alignment, your alignment changes. Yeah, which but if, if you're not following your alignment, then who cares? Yeah, exactly. It's not so, it's not important. But like like you said in in uh, Star Wars, you know getting corruption that's your consequence that you turn into a villain right. if you go to the dark side you lose your character exactly that's, so that's i mean finding you you have to give your players a reason to stick to alignment you know you you have to just come up with something i, I don't know i don't know well, what it would be but i mean you always kind of hope you don't have to exactly you hope that the characters are going to play their character you know 7c is a game about heroes mm-hmm you hope your characters are going to be heroic. Exactly. Um, but when they're not, you know, and, and maybe it's just a matter of pulling pulling the players aside saying, look, we're, we're playing this game. I don't know what game you're playing. Right. Um, you know, and, and you might just have to work it out that way. But, uh, you know, if you can get a, if you can get a player to, to think about their um, morals and play it, mm-hmm. You're just going to have better role playing, right? Yeah, I I completely agree with that. You know, finding those little ways to uh, to confront if if somebody's not sticking to you know either the game or their their character mm-hmm. because it means they're either don't care or they're not serious about it or you know maybe they need to be playing a different game. Exactly. It. Yeah. Well, that's it for this episode of Tabletop Radio Hour. 
Like always, you can find this episode on soundcloud.com slash tabletopradiohour and on iTunes. You can find us on Twitter at TabletopCast if you have any questions or comments. We also have an email address. It is tabletopradiohour at yahoo.com. Our website, tabletopradiohour.wordpress.com. You can find information about our Patreon page on our website. I want to thank you all for listening and keep rolling 20s.